we'll begin with prayer and we'll we'll get going it's a real delight and honor to be able to preach to all of you and share god's word with all of you today if you ever can't hear me just like give me a thumbs up or something i'm serious What's the point of being here if you can't hear? So thumbs down. Thumbs down. Sorry, you scoop back. If we can hear you. We're gonna just put you on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we we thank you that we can yet again come into your presence without having to sacrifice a goat or a lamb or a bull, without having to place our hands upon that animal, we here are in your presence because of the precious lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain before the foundation of the world, says your word. And in him we are accepted, purified, and clean. We are forgiven, and his righteousness is ours. And we are your children, adopted into the family of God, with Jesus as our big brother, into his image, we are being conformed daily by the power of the Spirit. This is our hope, and we hope in a new world to come, where we are citizens, because this home, this earth, this is not our home. So teach us again today of your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't, you just listen along. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. We'll be going through the first six verses of that chapter. 3, 1 through 6. And when you're turning there, I'll read the main idea of everything we've been doing the past few weeks. All right? I want us to remember, what are we talking about? Big picture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the nations honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the idea. We are strangers, exiles. No country in the world we go to will feel like home perfectly and completely because we belong to a home that is yet to come. And Peter then says, if you realize that you don't belong to this world, you might start asking some questions. And before I raise those questions, let me give you an illustration first to set you up. This will be a recap for what we've been doing. Let's say that your cousin is a softball player in the next state over, and it's her last softball game of the year, and it's her senior year, and so you're going to go out and support your cousin and watch her softball game at her college institution. Got it? You don't know the lay of the land, and so you go out to watch your cousin play, you park your car, you walk to the stands, your cousin has a fine game, you come back to your car, and lo and behold, there's a ticket on your windshield because you illegally parked 
and the campus police have busted you, and you didn't even know you illegally parked. I mean, this happens when you go to college campuses. You are never coming back to this college the rest of your life. She's graduated. Okay? And this college has no jurisdiction over you. You're not a student there. They really have, they're really not your ultimate authority, are they? You're just passing through, and you've been written up by people who don't even have ultimate say over you. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Do I pay it or not? Let's just say it's 25 bucks. That's kind of a standard college ticket fine. Do you pay it? I'm not gonna tell you if you do or you don't. I just want you to think about it. Because <laughs> you're, you're thinking about it, aren't you? You can get out of Dodge and no one would know. That's what's going on in our text. You belong to another world. You're just passing through. Jesus is your king. These people over you, they don't have ultimate authority over you. So do you really have to listen to the governors and the emperor? That was two weeks ago, sermon. Peter's answer, yes. Listen to the governors and the authorities as a way of showing your submission to Jesus. You honor them as a picture of your honor to Jesus. What about slaves who have good and harsh masters? They're ultimately slaves of Christ. Do they have to obey their masters? Yes, we should obey our bosses. Even though we're just passing through, we should still obey our bosses so that our good deeds might shine before men and they might see, wow, these Christians, they're respectful, honorable people. You see how this is working? And then we come to our text today. What about wives and husbands? And specifically, what about wives married to husbands who don't follow Jesus? That's a good question to ask. That would have been a lot more common back then than today. Jesus' message is going out across the world. Husbands and wives are listening to it. Sometimes husbands agree. Sometimes wives agree. But sometimes husbands disagree with the gospel, and the wives do agree. What happens? How does that work when you have the Christian wife and the non-Christian husband? Well, let's read the text. I hope you're there. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person in the heart, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. So this morning, as we work through these six verses, we're going to look at three S's, okay? 
S, S, and S. So we're going to look at submission. What does submission mean to a husband? Then we're going to look at salvation. The purpose of submission is so that the lost husband might be saved unto Jesus. So submission. Yeah, I think if it blows again like that, I might just fly away. <laughs> submission, salvation, and then at the end we'll look at scripture. Because he quotes this thing about Sarah calling Abraham her Lord. So we got submission, salvation, and scripture. Or maybe submission, salvation, and Sarah, depending on whatever sticks in your head. Okay? So, got it? Good. So, first we're going to be looking at submission. Chapter 3, verse 1a. First part of chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read the text. It's very short. Likewise, likewise is in like the slaves, like the people under the governor. Likewise, wives, be subject, or literally be submissive to your own husbands. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. You read a verse like this, and I can't help but wonder that maybe what enters your mind, men and women, actually, in our culture, is something like this. Are you serious? Are you serious? Did the Bible actually just say that sexist thing? Like, seriously? That's what the Bible says? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, and the Bible's actually quite clear on this. So I'll just read a few verses. Ephesians 5, 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Notice you submit to your own husband. Kim doesn't need to submit to me. Richard, right? This is consistent. Colossians 3.18 Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2.4-5 Young women should be dot 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 submissive to their own husbands. And 1 Peter 3.1 Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. This is everywhere, okay? It's pretty clear. This is what the biblical text says, the biblical data has for us. And so you can't, you can't get around it. Um, the Bible is pretty clear. Wives are to submit to their husbands. It raises a question, though. And we're just going to ask a few questions now. First question, are you serious? Yes, actually. We'll just ask a few questions. So this one is, what does it mean to submit? What does that mean? Before you attack or defend something, you need to know what you're attacking or defending, right? <laughs> we believe God's word. We know this is true. We know this is good for us. So we need to understand it. So what does it mean to submit? And as simply as I can put it, to submit means to be under the authority of someone else. To be under the authority of someone else. Just some examples. Um, in the Old Testament, after Israel defeated all the nations, the nations were submitted to Israel. They were under the authority of Israel. Um, in the New Testament, you know that story of when Jesus gets lost in Jerusalem as a little boy? And then his parents are looking everywhere to try to find him. And they're like, where's Jesus? Jerusalem's a big town. 
what are we going to do? They finally find him in the temple, and they say, what are you doing? And Jesus says, well, of course I'd be in my father's house, right? And you might think that Jesus is being disrespectful or snarky. And that's why Luke says in Luke 22, 51, that Jesus, was he went home with his father and mother, and he was living a life of submission towards his father and mother. This is Luke's way of saying Jesus is submitted to his mom and dad. He's an obedient boy. Okay. Submission just means to be under the authority of someone else. What submission to a husband does not mean? How about we ask that question? What does it not mean? Well, we read the text. So I'm just going to look at the text from 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And based on those verses, what does submission not mean? Or what can it not possibly mean? Well, the first thing submission can't mean, it can't mean this, is agreeing with everything your husband says. Right? The wife in the passage is a Christian. Did you catch that? Her husband is a non-Christian. So she does not agree with everything that her husband says. Her husband is probably telling her to not be a Christian. That's why verse 6 ends with telling the wife to not be afraid. Don't be afraid of your husband's discouragement. You follow Jesus nevertheless. So submission cannot mean agreeing with everything the husband says. Because this wife does not agree with the most important thing of, that her husband thinks. Second thing, that submission cannot mean. It can't mean doing everything that your husband says. Right? This husband is saying, don't be a Christian. And, nevertheless, she's a Christian. And this is a big deal, actually. This idea of the wife being a Christian and the husband not. This was considered quite disrespectful, actually. Um, let me read you a quote. This is from a guy named Plutarch. I don't recommend you name your son Plutarch. Lydia <laughs> uh, says, why? Um, there's a guy from named Plutarch. He was around at about 80, 70, or 80, okay? Hear what Plutarch wrote. He writes, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own friends. The gods, you hear that plural? The gods are first and foremost the most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. That was just the way it was back then. The wife can only have the friends that her husband has. And the husband's number one buddies were, were the gods. For a wife to worship some god that her husband did not worship was really unthinkable back then. And so it's wild that Peter's telling 
the wife to be submissive. And yet submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. It doesn't mean doing everything your husband says. It also doesn't mean not thinking for yourself. It must mean the wife does not, the wife doesn't check her brain at the door. She can think for herself, right? She heard the gospel. Her husband heard the gospel. Her husband listened to it and said, I don't think so. She listened to it and she said, I think so. <laughs> you can still think. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, you see Jesus' ministry. Jesus was all about women thinking. Jesus actually had women as his disciples, which is revolutionary. Women were not allowed to learn the Torah. Then Jesus shows up as this radical rabbi, and he says, you know who I'm going to pick to be my disciples? You know who I'm going to teach Torah to? Outcast ladies. This is wild stuff. So yeah, definitely think. Something else submission cannot mean. It can't mean always wanting the same things as your husband. The wife in the passage wants the husband to be a Christian. The husband does not want to be a Christian. If he did, he'd become one. So submission cannot, plain and simple, mean always wanting what your husband wants. And I'll just throw another one in there. Um, if we had lots of time, I could show you from Genesis chapter 20 about how Sarah says something to Abraham and Abraham is supposed to listen to his wife. But I'll just say this one. Submission does not mean not having a voice or a say in the matter. To be submissive does not mean you can't have a say in the matter. Think about it. The church is the bride of Christ, right? Jesus is our like spiritual husband, so to speak. Do we have a say in anything? Do we? What do you call prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is our say in the matter, isn't it? We, the bride of Christ, pray. And we let him know what we think. And he decides what is best perfectly. Husbands, not so much. But Jesus does it perfectly. So what does submission mean again? It means to be under the authority of someone else. And that doesn't mean that you're a doormat, you can't think for yourself, you always have to agree, you always have to want the same things, you have no say in the matter. It doesn't mean any of those things. Let's ask another question. What submission does not imply what does submission not imply and i think this is the sticky point in our culture i think this is the sticky point what does submission not imply so as soon as you start talking about somebody having authority over you our culture kind of bristles we don't like this whole hierarchy authority issue this is america i can do what i want I used to hear that all the time <laughs> from students to teachers. It crazy. Like Richard's laughing. He's like, I know, I'm in Whitehall. <laughs> students didn't do what they're supposed to do. It's all over. This whole authority thing is just not popular. It's incompatible with radical individualism, actually. Incompatible with radical individualism, which is what America society is. So in our society, we see 
person A is over person B. Let's substitute A and B. Let's say principal is over teacher. And we assume principal is more important, don't we? There's a hierarchy. Whoever's on top is more important. Just being on top necess necessitates that you are more important. That's the way our culture thinks. And the Bible does not think that way at all. The Bible disagrees with that. Our culture assumes that you have value and worth insofar as you are productive and efficient. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing that we have Uncle Mal here. He's an elderly man and we cherish him. We love Uncle Mal. But in a lot of our culture, the elderly are not taken care of, are they? They're looked down upon aren't they? Why? Why are they treated as less important? Because they can't do as much. What about little babies? How can you not love a tiny little baby? In the womb or out of the womb? A precious gift from God. And yet our culture has a hard time loving little precious babies because they're not very productive and efficient and helpful. We have this assumption that as productive as you are is how valuable you are. And the more productive you are, the higher up you are on the ladder. So the higher up you are on the ladder, the more important you are. And Christianity just disagrees. We just say, wrong. All people are of equal worth and dignity. No one is better than anyone else. We are all equal in need of the grace of God. Period. Full stop. From the tiniest baby to the oldest gentleman or lady to everyone in between to the mentally disabled, we love them all. And it's a beautiful message. Think about this. Did Jesus submit himself to God the Father? Yes. Is Jesus less important than God the Father? I hope you say no. I think we need them both, don't we? They both have their own role, and both of the roles are precious. There's the role of authority and the role of submission, and we need both of them for this whole thing to work. They're both beautiful and glorious. So submission does not imply that one person is better than the other, smarter than the other, more competent than the other. Jesus was pretty competent. Submission doesn't imply anything our culture thinks it implies. All submission means is that God has a distinct role for men and a distinct role for women. And, and, and it's like an Oreo. You need the cookie and the cream. When you put it all together, it's good. It's good. You need all of it. Last thing. Then we'll be done with submission. This is the longest point by far. Last one. Um, okay, Pastor Brian, I've heard what you said, but this whole submission thing is just bizarre. I just don't like it. It's just bizarre. I think that's not what Christians would say, but that's what our culture says. 
And we need to know how to think through that, right? We don't want to have worldly thinking. We want to be purified by the Spirit and have renewed minds. And you know what's bizarre to me? That you would say this is bizarre, actually. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say we were down in Louisiana, my stomping grounds, okay? Got it? And Louisiana has the mighty Mississippi. I love the Mississippi River. It's beautiful in its own majestic way. And up and down the Mississippi River, we have every oil refinery and power plant you can imagine. And, and we got lots of cancer down in Louisiana too, which is really sad. All right, let's say I went down the mighty Mississippi and I was fishing and I caught me a humdinger. It's a big one and I'm excited. And I caught it right outside of this oil refinery plant. All right. And I, 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 I put it out of its misery. I put it in my freezer. I invite you over to my house and I say, hey, buddy. What's a female buddy? But I don't know. I caught a great fish. I'm going to cook it up. You want to see what I caught? You say, yeah, I want to see what you caught. If I pull it out the freezer and it's got two heads. What do you think about that fish? It is a deformed, two-headed catfish. You want to eat that fish? Why don't you want to eat my fish? It was hot. I worked hard. I caught that two-headed fish. What's wrong with a two-headed fish? Because things with two heads are mutated. We instinctively know that things with two heads are not healthy. We understand this. That's what a marriage is with two leaders. That's what a marriage is with two leaders. The Bible says that a family unit and a Christian uh, relationship with Jesus is like a body. With the head as the leader, that would be Jesus, and the church is the body. And the head makes the decisions. In the same way, the husband is the head of the household. We as Christians are saying, you know what? We think this body, this family, should have one head. And the world says, no, it should have two heads. This should be a two-headed creature. And that's, de that's, a, that's a deformity and a mutation. And it's not a sign of health. It's setting you up for infighting. Also, another illustration. I know we don't really have sports fans here, but I think this will make sense. The 2003-2004 LA Lakers were possibly the most talented team in history. They had four Hall of Famers in their starting lineup. Four Hall of Famers, okay? They had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, the glove, and Carl Malone, the mailman. And they did not win the championship. And the primary reason they did not win the championship is because it turns out when you put four superstars together, they all want to be the superstar. And they can't work together as a team. And one of the former stars who got demoted to a bench player had to say this, we were a collection of very accomplished and high achieving individuals. Even though we had a really good core and nucleus of guys who had been there for a few years already, we weren't a team. That's your problem. You got to be a team and a team needs a leader. Whether you're putting up a tent <laughs> or you're running a family, or you're talking about a basketball team, you need a leader. 
And leaders are not determined in the Bible based on competency or intelligence or who's just better. It's just God-given roles. Right. That's submission. Okay? My main point was just to tell you what is submission and what isn't submission there. Hope we have a clear understanding. In my opinion, it seems necessary for one to submit to the other. And both roles are so important, just like Jesus' role of submission is so important. Next point, chapter 3, 1B, second half of verse 1 through 4. We've seen what submission is, but what's the purpose of it? What is the purpose of submission? And the purpose is for the lost husbands to find Jesus, to know Jesus, to be saved. So let me read that text. Wives are to be submissive, dot, 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 so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. The point of these verses is to show you the purpose of submission in the context of a marriage where you have a, 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 a saved wife and a non-saved husband. The purpose is that he might be saved. He might be saved. You share the gospel with him. It says that in verse 1. He's heard the word. He's heard the gospel and he rejected it. So what do you do? Do you just wake up every morning and tell it to him again? No. He knows it. He's heard it. you got to find a different approach. And the approach is a transformed life. Do you see what Jesus has done to my life? He's changed me. He's changed me. He's real. And since he's real, you should believe in him. And you say all that without opening your mouth. That's the idea. And this is not just for wives who are married to non-Christians. Every wife here has a part in this, I think. Look at verse 1 again. So that if any of them do not believe the word, any of the husbands don't believe the word, the husbands may be won over without the words by the behavior of wives. That's literally what it says. There's no their wives there. There's no his wives there. The husband might be won over by the behavior of the wives. And then you get verse 2 and verse 3. When they see the purity of your lives. That's plural. That's you wives of the church. Verse 3. Your beauty. That's the wives of the whole church. That's plural. That's why in the South we came up with this great word called y'all. So you can tell the difference. It's wonderful. We might have two-headed catfish, but we got y'all. <laughs> so, here's the idea. The gospel has transformed the wife of the of uh, transformed the wife of the lost husband. But the gospel has also transformed a bunch of other wives too. And the lost husband is supposed to look at his wife and see transformation. And then the lost husband is supposed to look at all the wives of the church and see, wow, 
Look at all these marriages. They are all cohesive and unified and loving and working like a well-oiled machine. And the testimony of all of the wives' conduct should make an impact on the lost husband. This really changed in my mind. This is how I read it. I think this is what Peter is saying. This is not just a passage directed to the woman who's married to a lost husband. You're, you, all you women are in on this. You're all sending a message through each of your marriages. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Beautiful. He makes beautiful marriages. So, in short, how does, how does the wife win over the husband? Well, only by the grace of God. There's no magical formula. But there is a strategy that is most, most helpful and most persuasive to husbands. In short, it is not found in dressing up nice and pretty. Those things are fine. Peter's point in verse 3 is saying, your focus shouldn't be on outward beauty. Your focus should be, verse 4, on inward beauty. On inward beauty. That's what your focus should be on. And this inward beauty consists of, verse 2, purity and reverence or honor respect and how do you show respect by a gentle a meek and a quiet spirit you see men want to be respected deeply men crave respect and if you're a man and you don't know that this would be helpful for you to know think about it growing up it seems to me that most every boy wants the approval of his father. What's approval other than respect? Son, I respect what you have become. I approve. That's, that's, that's respect language. And sons, eat it up. They say, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to be loved. I want to know I'm special. But I really, I want to be respected. What I think this means, women is basically men want to know that they are looked up to. That there's something in them that is honorable. They want to know they're not just some average Joe, but there's something about them that is honorable and right. I tried to think through what this looks like, and this is the best I could come up with. Men want to be given the honor and respect of trust. That's what we want, isn't it, men? We want to be trusted. So you and your wife, you talk. You have a decision to make. You talk it out, just like we talk it out with Jesus. And if you have a good marriage, 99% of the time, you're going to come to the same decision. Seriously, 99% of the time, you should be coming to about the same decision. There's about 1% of the time where she wants this and he wants that. And the Bible says it is at that time when the wife says, husband, I don't understand, but I trust what your decision is. And I want to understand it. And I respect your authority and your decision. And I'm glad that you have made a decision, even if it's not what makes sense to me. You do it in the most respectful, honoring way possible. You can disagree in love. You can disagree in respect. Our culture right now believes that if we disagree, it means we hate each other. 
That's just what our culture thinks all the time. You don't agree with this movement, that means you hate me. You don't agree with that movement, it means you also hate me. And it creates havoc in the world. You can disagree and still love each other. You can disagree and still respect each other, right? At least adults should be able to. And so give your husband the honor and respect of trust, of trust. Saying, husband, I know you did your best and I'm grateful that you tried. I trust your decision. Christian women who are married to non-Christian husbands have this extra difficult temptation of saying internally, I know Jesus and he's taught me so much and changed me so much. You could learn a lot from me, husband. And there's truth in that. There's truth in that. So the, what you have to be on guard of, I've seen this growing up with my mom and dad. It's not to say my dad's non-believer or anything, just a spiritually active mother not so much father. There can be tension there because the wife is thinking, I've got life down because I know the maker of life. You must remember you have a beautiful role of supporting your husband. You can't be challenging him all the time. It'll crush him and you'll shut down. And then what is left for you is everything. All the work is left for you if he shuts down. That's not helpful for anybody. Okay. So, we've seen what submission is. And it's a good thing. It's modeled mainly by Jesus himself. We've seen the purpose of it. So that the church and the wives of the church might be submitting to their husbands, presenting a beautiful picture of marriage so that the lost husbands might say, I need in on this, this Jesus and now the scriptural basis. You might be wondering, can I have an example? Can you just give me one example of what submission looks like? Sure. And it's a challenging one. It's a doozy, okay? But this is God's word, women. This is God's word. So, here's your example. It comes from scripture, and you see it in verses 5 and 6. For this is the way... The holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands. And here's your example. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called her, called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So Peter is quoting or alluding to Genesis chapter 18, which is, a pretty interesting story. So we're not going to read Genesis 18. You are going to read Genesis 18. But I'll give you the cliff notes. Okay? Genesis 18. Abraham is sitting out in the opening of his tent. Because that's where the breeze blows. And I'm sure it's hot as Hades out there. So he's getting the breeze. And he sees three men walking his way. And back then, um, hospitality. I couldn't think of the word. Hospitality was a huge deal. If you were not hospitable to guests, you were the lowest of low. So Abraham sees these three people, strangers, and he says, I need to be hospitable to them. He runs up to them. He says, he bows down. He says, come and stay with us. Wash your feet. Kick back and relax. I'll go kill an animal. We can eat it and feast. And it's going to be an awesome time. Sure, let's do it, say the three visitors, one of whom is actually Yahweh. And so they go and do that. Abraham runs back to the tent, and he says, 
Sarah, I need, this is basically all he says. Sarah, I need you to make, and I forget what the, 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 the actual uh, measurements are, but what it turns to in our day is 20 quarts of flour, turn it into bread. That's what he says. Just runs into the tent. Sarah, I need you to make 20 quarts worth of flour into bread. Go. And he runs out. That seems to be what's going on. And he takes care of the animal. And eventually they all have a huge feast together. Whoo! I mean, he basically told her to make him a sandwich. <laughs> That's basically what he did. Sarah, go and make 20 quarts worth of flour into bread. So what's a quart? It's a fourth of a gallon, 20 divided by four, five. Five gallons worth. Boom, 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 boom. All flour. Turn it into bread. Go. And he had his own work to do. And then the angels come up and Yahweh comes up. That's who the three visitors are. And they say, where is Sarah? Oh, she's in the tent. Oh, what's she doing in the tent? She's probably making bread, right? <laughs> and they tell Abraham, they say, at this time next year, Sarah will have a son, which is incredible because she's barren and she's old. And so this is what Sarah says, because she's in the tent making the bread and she hears this and this is what she says to herself. She says this inwardly in her heart. After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? You hear it? After I'm worn out and my, mas and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? That's incredible. She's making the bread and in her heart, she's calling her husband her Lord or her master. And it's just off. It's just an off comment. It's just, it's just quick. She didn't say it for anybody. It's just her own personal ruminations. And in her heart, she could have said, Oh, now I get to make, now, now I have a kid for that jerk. That's not what she says. He would never have known. Oh, now I get to have a child for that, 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 that mean boss or something like that. No, just, he's my master. He's the one in authority over me. And she laughs. This is hilarious. This is the craziest thing ever, God. I'm like 90 years old. I'm going to have a baby. This is weird. Okay, I'll just laugh. <laughs> Reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, Bible says that the Proverbs 31 woman looks at the future and laughs. I love it. Future's coming, it's big and scary, and I just laugh because I hope in God like Sarah hoped in God. I don't need to be crushed by fear and worry and misunderstandings. I hope in God, I can laugh at the future. So this is your example. This is Sarah's example to us my husband is my he's over me he's my boss it's funny you see how quickly times have changed um about two months three months ago my kids and i were watching a superman tv show from the 1940s i think it was 1940 it was made and clark kent superman rescued lois lane yet again this girl cannot stay out of trouble and he, he swoops in, flies, picks her up, sets her down to safety. And Clark Kent, Superman, says, now you stay here, Lois. And Lois Lane says, yes, my lord. <laughs> Can you believe that? Those 1940s cartoons. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
I told that to Holly once, and Holly was like, you sure she wasn't being sarcastic? I rewatched it. She's not being sarcastic. It was so heartfelt. It was genuine. You stay here. Yes, my lord. Husbands are more than a master. They're more than that. But they're not less than that. And in the Bible, how are masters supposed to treat those under them? How are bosses supposed to treat those under them? Listen to Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. First Chronicles, God says that his eyes roam throughout the whole world looking for, looking for those who are hoping in him so that he might help them. What do you do with power if you're a Christian? You stoop down low and you, you help. That's what you do. All right. So we've gone through the text. Submission, what it is, what it isn't, what it implies, what it doesn't. Salvation. And then an example, a scriptural basis from Sarah. Response. Now, I've had a feeling this might be a long one, but when you preach submission, it, it gets a little tricky. Responses. You might hear this and think, wow, this is really different than the culture. And I just say, yeah. We're aliens and strangers. I don't know how many countries there are in the world. Somewhere around 200, I think. Whoa, that was close. The people in the video don't know if I'm moving or they're moving. <laughs> you can go to all 200 or so countries. And you know how many you'll fit in perfectly at? Zero. You have no home here. Your home is with Jesus in a new and a better world. And in that world, we have different customs than they have in this world. It reminded me of some things I saw on the internet. Here in America, when a child loses the child's first tooth, or second tooth or whatever, we put the tooth under the pillow so that the tooth fairy may come and whisk it away at an ever-increasing rate of pay, it seems to me. Every year, it's like... It goes up. The tooth fairy must be doing well. Um, in Greece, when they lose a tooth, they throw it on the roof. <laughs> it's just a different custom. Isn't that funny? They're chucking teeth up on the roof. In Spain, in a small northern community in Spain, they take part in what is called baby jumping. El Colacho. It keeps the devil away. Jumping a baby once a day keeps the devil away. Who knew, right? It's a different custom. Here's one that cracked me up. Turns out there's a YouTube video of this one, and I couldn't say no. Camel wrestling in Turkey. There you go. Camel wrestling in Turkey. They dress them up in ornate outfits, and these camels fight each other. And it's like a monster truck rally. All the men are gathered around, and they're hooting and hollering. But these camels beating each other up. You're like, wow, that sounds entertaining, but I don't know if I would fit in there. This is our world. We don't fit in. What do we do? We actually submit to the government, which has not been happening lately. And you know what also we do? We submit to our bosses, and we don't talk bad about them. That doesn't fit in in this world. And you know what we do? We have wives who submit to husbands. And we have husbands who say, it's my job to go down low and serve you. That's not our world. We don't fit in here. But one day we will live in a world where we fit in. 
and our customs will be the only customs. And it'll be a world of love. So, just know that if you feel comfortable in this world, like super comfortable in this world, you're doing it all wrong. Somehow, something is wrong somewhere. You should not feel at home here. And I don't think you do. I just know you all. I hear you talk. For the most part, I don't think we're very comfortable. We feel like outsiders. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Husbands, application for you. Feel the weight of the responsibility of leading. When a wife is said to submit, that necessarily means the husband is a leader. I was feeling this last night. I'm moving my family across the country, and we'll explain that more to y'all later for those who aren't sure of exactly what's going on. But that is a weight on me, and it is not light. Here's what I mean. Husbands. Husbands, if there's children problems in your home, you know whose problem it is? It's your problem, Dad. It's your problem. Because you're the leader. And it's on you to somehow figure out what to do by prayer and God's help. But it's on you. It's your problem. What about the grades at school? What about the behavior at school? Dad, it's your job. It's on you. Okay? Marriage troubles? I know it takes two to tango. She's not innocent, neither are you. But you know whose door God's gonna come knocking on? He's knocking on your door. It's on you, husbands. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know who God went, who started the sin, right? Eve did. Who did God go up to first and approach? Adam. You know why? Because it's Adam's job. It's his job to be the man and step up and take care of business. It's on you, husbands. So, wives, you submit. You do the best you can. But husbands, all that means is that you need to feel the weight. And you bring the weight to Jesus because he cares about you and you can cast your burdens on him and he'll take them from you. Okay? But just hear me loud and clear. It's on us. We are the leaders. And it's a beautiful, glorious weight. Also, Submission. There's a few things here that Peter highlights. Just he gave some examples from his culture. Now I want to talk to the kids now. You kids who are in school. Peter mentioned government. That's submission. There's um, bosses and slaves and all that. That's submission. There's husbands and wives. I was thinking, what are some areas of submission we have in our culture today? Teachers. Coaches. Instructors, children, God charges you kids to listen to your teachers and to honor and respect them. Peter just gives us a sampling. There's other examples he could have given. You're supposed to read the examples Peter gives and then realize, oh, there's other, there's other examples out there. Children, God charges you to obey your teachers submit to them and make their lives easy and you on the camera you as well kids that's what it looks like to show Jesus and lastly I just want you to see the beauty of humility and gentleness and meekness wives I just want you to see how beautiful this is 
in verse 4, it said that, I think it was verse 4, it might have been verse 2. I would have my Bible up here, but I wouldn't be able to see anything. <laughs> Pages would fly up. It says that the, the, the wife should be gentle in her heart. Same word for meek. What does it mean to be meek? I always hear people say, to be meek is not to be weak. And I'm like, well, okay, that's one thing it's not. There's still six billion things it could be. What does it mean to be meek? I'll tell you what it means to be meek. It's not a word we use often. To be meek is a lion obeying a lion tamer. That lion can rise up at any second and say, you're not taming me anymore. To be meek means you have the strength to rise up. But it's precisely because you have the strength that you don't rise up. Because if everybody who could, ri who could rise up was always rising up, you know what our world would become? It would become a lot like what it looks like right now. That's what it would look like. And to this world where meekness has gone by the wayside, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the king for they for they shall inherit the earth. You lay low, you get trampled upon. Christian husbands should never trample on their wives. But we all get trampled on. We are all submissive to something or another. We all take the low road. And one day, after the world has been rising up to take what's theirs their whole life. Those who have been stomped on will inherit the whole world. We get it all. That's the prize. That's the secret. They don't realize it. The more you grab, the more you lose. The more the emptier your hands are, the more you get in the end. That's the way it works in the upside down kingdom of God. So wise, be meek, lay low, and the world will be yours one day. Because God loves meekness. And the greatest example of meekness is Jesus, who looks others in the eyes and he says, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels right now and take you all out? I'm the Lion of Judah. You're not my tamers. I can destroy you all. But I love you. And I want you to know the truth. And so, I'm going to die as a lamb. I'm not going to rise up. And I'm not going to take you out. I'm going to take the low road and I'm going to love you. And I'm going to die for your sins. So that way you can know me and you can know eternal life. This is the beauty and the glory of meekness. And I encourage you wives to follow in the example of Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. I pray for my dear sisters around me that they would take the low road and support their husbands, not seeking to have dominion and authority over them. And I pray for husbands that they would take the lowest road. They would serve their wives, disciple their wives, disciple their children, and they would feel the glorious weight of being responsible as a leader. We pray for your grace to make this happen. We ask that the children who are just now approaching summer break would live next year as students in whatever grade they are in a submissive and respectful manner. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who in meekness 
has saved the world. And in his name we pray, amen.